Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. For more information about us, please visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. Well, how's everybody doing? <laughs> I always, I'm always bracing to see how that, what the energy in the room is with that question. How's everybody doing? A little better, yes. Uh, it's today's marks a special day and a good day in a lot of ways, as, as Scott mentioned, just kind of a marker for us as a church as we kind of end one chapter, go into a next one. And I was just thinking about um, really just the sh- it's a relatively short history that we've had worshiping in this room and just all the great things that have happened. And I was thinking about just different moments and memories and one that came to mind that some of you are part of and some of you weren't. But um, about three years ago when Christmas was on a Sunday, we did a we decided to do a Christmas Eve service instead of coming to church on a Sunday, Christmas day. I mean, who wants to do that, right? Jesus' reason for the season, but let's meet the night before. And so we did that. We met on Christmas Eve, and we had this room that was like 200 or so people can fit in this room, but that night, for some reason, it was like 350 people were here, and we somehow fit in here. It's like if you have like, if you have issues with people being like personal space, it was a bad night for you. Like people are like, you know, all up on each other and all that kind of stuff. It's hilarious. People sitting on the floor, all this kind of stuff. Well, the, the funny part of the night is when we got to the end of the night, we sang Silent Night, we, we all lit our candles. And it was like, it was, I could feel, literally feel the heat. It was like a bonfire in this room. I was like, I was so inspired in the moment that I wanted to give an altar call, turn or burn. You know what I'm saying? But I didn't, I didn't. But I think about all the moments in this room and it's been good. I mean, people have been baptized here. People have been saved here. People have um, been healed in this room. People have been prayed over in this room. We've seen babies dedicated here, and here's the cool thing about it all. It's at the end of the day, uh, it's special, it's important, but God moves anywhere, any place, any time, and in any room. And so I am so thankful that he's going to continue to accelerate the work that he's been doing here into the next chapter of our story. Amen? Amen. Okay, so I'm excited about that. Well, I want to talk a bit today about prayer. <laughs> and I, I think it's kind of funny because I feel like it may be the most talked about subject in our church over the last couple of years, but I love prayer. Everybody say, yay, prayer. Yeah, prayer, prayer is the best, right? And so um, I, say, I say often that everything begins and ends with prayer. And we feel uh, that as we kind of close one chapter, which, you know, is just about a room, but, and we begin a new one, um, that we want to bathe this whole thing in prayer. And we want the whole thing to be drenched in prayer. And we're, and we're inviting you to participate in what we're calling seven days of prayer, as you see on the screen. And and, and maybe you've already seen this prayer guide, but you can pull this prayer guide out of the back of your seat right now. And this is for you to take. We want everyone to take one. Even if you don't do it, we want you to take it um, uh, just to kind of look at it and be able to kind of see what's in it. But um, this is an invitation to live into uh, to a rhythm this week of just praying together in a specific way. And uh, basically what we're trying to, to, to really do as we kind of drench, if you will, this week in prayers, we also want to invite you into even fasting this week. So this is up to you. I'll talk about that in a moment. But this is an opportunity to faithfully circle our church and our lives uh, for the next six days in prayer, and then on that seventh day to come together and to uh, kind of lift up a holy roar and celebration for, of our love for God. And uh, so you'll see in the, in the guide, and I have it on screen too, that we're encouraging you to pray three times a day, which is is a little different. I mean, it's a little bit more regimented, scheduled, fixed-hour prayer, and you can actually see some background in the guide about where that even comes from, that that's a, something that's part of church history and tradition um, uh, that goes back a long, long way before us, but that we would have a morning prayer, a midday prayer, and an evening prayer. And, 
And this is something that maybe you'd want to live into, but you can just see how it breaks down. The morning prayer is, you know, you read a psalm, and there's some psalms there in the guide listed for you to read. And then, then we would say a prayer in the morning that's a let there be light prayer as we are declaring let there be light in our city. And there's a specific let there be light prayer that we would lead you to. We would want all of us praying together. And then you can continue to pray as you feel led. So just creating a time of prayer in the morning. Midday, you know, that's up to you. Like, what does that mean? Um, sometime in the, in the middle of your day. Um, read some scripture. There's some instructions about that. And then pray for others in the church. That's sort of a time of intercession where in the afternoon you would just say, I'm going to focus my mind on not my own needs, but on the needs of others and, on, and, and on, even on our church. And so there's some intercessory prayer kind of ideas for you in there. And then to just continue to pray as you feel led. And then an evening prayer. There's some evening psalms that are kind of traditional church uh, psalms that you can read in the evenings. They're listed in there. Uh, and then the Lord's Prayer, meaning each day during the six days, seven days, there's a specific part of the Lord's Prayer that we would say, you know, you can step in and pray that. So this is maybe like, well, this is a lot coming at me really fast. Just read through it. It's really simple. It's a simple way that say, hey, I want to disrupt my normal routine and lean into prayer, but I want to do it with a group of people, and I want it to have some meaning and purpose. Well, this, this is what this is all about. Um, and then for anyone interested to take it a step further, we're encouraging anybody to participate in a fast. And there's a lot of different ways you can fast, but fasting scripturally from food is for the purpose of dedicating your mind, heart, and body to the Lord to say, Lord, I want to listen. I want to hear from you. I want to dedicate and put all of my focus and energy onto you so when I'm hungry, it'll turn my attention to prayer. And so there's all sorts of different examples in the scriptures about fasting, but we're encouraging just a few different ways you can do it. There's three options in the, in the guide there for you. One is to do a kind of a daylight fast where you wouldn't you would fast until 6 p.m. Um, and you would just dedicate you know your mind heart and body to that and you could you know have a meal at night uh, one is a full fast where you're just like I'm, I'm going all in I'm gonna drink some water and maybe some juice but I'm going all in for either the full duration of seven days or for a portion of the week um, and then the last one is maybe just fasting uh, a meal a day and dedicating that time to, to pray uh, when you would normally be eating. And so you can see that all sort of listed in there. Those are options for you. I'm not going to give a ton of instruction to that because I'm really just going to pray that the Lord leads you as you read through that and you sort of consider what your week looks like. Um, but it is an invitation to say, let's, let's come together around this thing together and dedicate these next seven days as we end one chapter and begin. Everything begins and ends with prayer. We want everything to begin and end with prayer as a church body. And so I, I want to talk more about prayer, but that's the practical thing. And that's the thing we're just kind of putting in front of you as a person this week to say, hey, maybe we can make prayer a little bit more part of our week than normal. Um, so let's talk about prayer a little bit more. Earlier this week, I was praying with Grayson before bed. I don't know if you have kids, if you pray bedtime prayers, but a lot of times they're just sort of short and routine prayers. But I had this like moment a few, this was just earlier this week when I was like, I'm going to pray a little bit more intentionally. Like, and so I was like, oh, I'm going to I'm going to pray against fear, and I'm going to pray for courage, and I'm going to pray the love would fill both of us up. And it was all important stuff, right? And I'm like praying, and I'm like, oh, I think he's feeling it. You know what I mean? And so I'm praying, and then I say amen. And then he says back to me, right after I say amen, he goes, Dad, which is more like the way he said it was one of those like, he's about to say something like, this is going to be a moment. Dad, yes, son, I'm expecting him to be like, after that prayer, like, tell me more about Jesus or something like that. But he goes, Dad, did you know we have 20 fingers and toes? <laughs> and I'm like, 
Yeah, I, okay. And I was, I, was, I was thinking about it like while I was praying, he was looking at his hands. So the whole time I'm praying, he's just like thinking about his fingers. And I'm like, this is the prayer life. This is so real. Like how many of you are with me in this little moment? You feel this is your prayer life. Sometimes it's like I'm all in. I'm intentional. I'm focused. And then other moments you're like, whoa. <laughs> and you just get distracted and you're thinking about something else. And prayer is like this roller coaster, right? Where we sometimes are all in on it and sometimes we're out of it and we're not praying and we're not, we're not really um, connecting with the Lord in prayer. And, and I think that for so many of us, we relate with that and we know that that's true. And I don't know, I just, I, I've showed this quote before, because I think all of us want to be more intentional, but I've showed this quote before, and it's from Pete Gregg, who's founder of 24-7 Prayer. He said, we don't pray because we're into prayer, we pray because we're into Jesus. And we, and we had this on a screen graphic in our, in our prayer room this past year, but if there's anything I've learned from Jesus, right, about Jesus, is that he was all about prayer. He really was. I mean, he went to the Father and prayed and poured his heart out to him. And his disciples, they were so impacted by the way he prayed. There was that moment, it's in Luke 11, when, he looks at, when, when the disciples look at him and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. Because they had seen something alive in Jesus' life that they were missing and they wanted more because somehow Jesus was going to the Father and he was coming back different. And they're like, Lord, teach us to pray like you pray. We can't claim, I don't believe, I don't claim, I don't, it's hard to say, I'm a follower of Jesus and not have at least a desire to grow in prayer. We must have this desire. It must be something we want. Look at this passage in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. It says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. So this this verse is an embodiment that Jesus lived a life of prayer. Think about this before the start of his ministry. We've heard the stories about the 40 days of fasting and prayer that he did before he even begun. Everything begins and ends with prayer, right? And then, and then the end, before he's, before he's uh, arrested, what's he doing? He's in the garden for hours praying before he's arrested, right? Father, may your will be done. Everything begins and ends with prayer. And in the middle, every day we get evidence that every day he would wake up, get alone by himself, and go to his father and he would pray. This was at the heart of Jesus. Jesus is always leaning into prayer. And when you lean into Jesus, you find yourself leaning into prayer. Has anybody experienced this? When you lean into Jesus, you lean into more prayer. In the book uh, Circle Maker by Mark Batterson, which is a book about prayer, he uses the example of standardized tests to, talk, to give a little illustration about prayer. And, and you guys remember standardized tests, right? Number two pencils, scantrons, Iowa test of basic skills. Yes. Well, a number of years, uh, for a number of years, it's been a kind of a sticking point in the U.S. Um, that Japan, specifically Japan, and their children have consistently done better than our children on standardized tests. Now, um, how many of you guys know that America is competitive? <laughs> we want the most medals at the Olympics, don't we? And, uh, and so standardized tests, same thing. We're not really happy that we keep losing this battle. And there's some for many years that were ignorantly sort of assuming why this was be, would be the case. And they would say, oh, you know, well, they're just more naturally inclined to have uh, the ability to do math, for example, or to do other types of academic. And there's that ignorant assumption, but what researchers have found that the results in standardized tests have nothing to do with anything like that. It's not about natural ability, it's about effort. And they've done all sorts of 
studies to prove this. For example, they gave one uh, group of students or a group of children um, a, a very difficult puzzle to solve. And they put it in front of a bunch of American kids and they lasted 9.47 minutes before they got like overwhelmed with how hard it was and they moved on to the other, another thing. Well, the Japanese students lasted 13.93 minutes, which means that they lasted 40% longer at the task that was very hard for them to do as well. And it just meant that they simply worked harder. And there's this reality that has come alive in research that has been proven over and over again when it comes to tests, for example, that it's very, very few times it's about, it's about any sort of intellectual you know, IQ kind of quotient. It is always about effort. And we kind of believe this and understand this, that, you know, that persistence and hard work, it matters in life. And so we kind of apply this to most things in life and we kind of accept, accept what comes with it. If you're going to go train for a, a, if you want to run a race, right? If you're going to run a half marathon, a marathon, most of us understand there's gonna, that it's more about the persistence and training and persistence of showing up and doing the hard work um, that that's what makes you able to run the race. If anybody shows, no, not one of you in this room would expect without training to show up to run a marathon and that morning just go, man, I'm hoping for a breakthrough where I can miraculously finish this race, 26 miles. But how often do we do that in our spiritual life? How often do we do no persistent hard work in prayer and then say, God, I need you to do all the work. Breakthrough. God provides breakthrough. He does miracles, but he works most consistently. He brings the miracles whenever he sees a heart that is hungering and thirsting after him, that is digging in and doing the work of prayer. Perhaps our spiritual life is linked to effort to some degree and consistency and persistence. So let's consider for a moment, does persistence and commitment and consistency have anything, has it, has, does it have any effect in our prayer life? Um, I mean, for example, if I pray right now, Lord, help me be a good husband. Now, the Lord's already answered that prayer. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> but let's just imagine he hadn't. If I said, Lord, help me be a good husband, here's, here's where it really becomes a real issue for us. Do I have to pray it again? Didn't God hear my prayer? Is God... Is he forgetful? Why would I pray it again? I, there's actually a scripture that says, don't go babbling on repeating yourself in Matthew 6, 7. So why would I pray a prayer again if I already prayed it? Has anybody thought this before or is this just me? He's heard me. Do I, I mean, am, I, am I sinning by praying it again? Am I being unfaithful if I pray it again? You know, what I've learned is that God wants to hear the cry of our heart. You know, Emily, she's 17. She's been driving for a year now. And if you're a parent, you totally get, like, every time your kids are out away from you and they're driving on their own and they're, you're not in the car with them, it, like, it messes with your brain. You know what I mean? You're like, this is not cool. Can I get a witness? You know what I'm saying? And so, yeah, so, <laughs> someone with, like, a 50-year-old kid is going, yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, we, we tell her all the time. We tell her all the time, like, um, hey, we need you to be safe. We want you to be safe, and we tell her all the ways to be safe. We tell her where she can get gas and where she cannot get gas. Are you, ta- are you with me? Like 23rd and Penn? <laughs> 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 like, I mean, I'm saying, there's just some places you just, 
don't you don't go there to get gas. You go other places to get gas, and you don't text while you're driving. She's like, duh, I know that. And and you know, so we, but you tell her over and over again, like, I want you to be safe when you get there. I want you to call us when you get home. I want you, you know, all those sorts of things. Are you with me? And we say it all the time, and we've been saying it to her for a year. What does she know? She knows the cry of my heart. What does she? What is? What is? What does she know about her, her mom? She knows the cry of her heart. We care about her safety. What if one time, whenever she got a license, I looked at her and said, "You better take it easy on them roads." And that's all I said. From then on, I haven't said another word about her safety. Do you think she would think that it was really, I really cared all that much what she did when she was behind the wheel? She would, no, because why? Because the things that are the cry of our heart, we say over and over again. We pray over and over again. These are the things we voice out loud over and over again. And God wants to hear the cry of your heart. And it's not babbling on. Because that scripture actually refers to people that are just babbling on words that mean nothing to their heart. That are just trying to sound spiritual. That are just trying to do the right religious routines. Other scriptures lead us to believe that he wants to hear the cry of our heart. Turn to Joshua chapter 6. This is a great word inside a familiar story for us today. Um... In Joshua chapter 6, if you have a Bible, you can get there, but uh, it's, we're introduced to the ancient city of Jericho. Most of us have heard about Jericho. Um, it was a frightening place in a lot of ways. It was a really, they had a fortified city, 50 foot tall walls, 6 feet thick. I mean, this was like a fortress. And in Joshua chapter 6, we're in the middle of a really, really long story. And if you don't know the story, I'll catch you up real quick. There's a group of people called the Israelites. They had been heading towards a place called the promised land that God had promised them, right? And Moses had been leading them. And whenever they get to the edge of that promised land, a lot of people got scared to enter that promised land because they saw places like Jericho and they got afraid that they would not, if they entered the land, they would be defeated in some sort of, you know, epic battle. So they stayed back and for 40 years, instead of entering the promised land, they did what's called wandering in the wilderness, right? Moses dies Joshua takes over the leadership position of the people, and God once again says to Joshua, I want you to enter the promised land. So Joshua, being strong and courageous, is what the word says, enters into the promised land, and not too long after they enter in, they come to Jericho, and they have this fortified city that they're like, how in the world are we going to have to deal with these people that don't want us in this land? Well, here's the story. Joshua 6, verse 1. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. You're getting ready for a fight. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. They're afraid. Along with the king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. And on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up and everyone goes straight, will, or everyone straight in. So God's battle plan is like, if you know the story, it's kind of, a, it's kind of one that, you know, it's told even in, children's stories and all that sort of stuff, but it's God's battle plan is for tens of thousands of Israelites to march around the city um, one time a day for six days, and then the seventh day, they're going to walk around seven times, and then they're going to blow a trumpet, and then the walls are going to fall down. Like, the, the plan is crazy. It's, cr it's ridiculous, right? It's 
it would seem foolish. Can you imagine the first day when the army's like, okay, God told us to just march around this thing. And they're like, but I got battering rams. I got flaming arrows. Why am I walking? But that's what they do. The scriptures don't indicate that they had any specific prayer that they were praying during that march. But could you imagine the holy anticipation that was building through the week? Day one. This is kind of weird, and it's foolish. And by the way, if you're not willing to be foolish with your prayers, you'll probably never experience the unexplainable stories of God in your life. I mean, I love, I mean, a friend here in the church, you know, last year they're praying and they, they actually need, have a physical need. They need a car, they need a vehicle, they, and they don't, they, they don't feel like they can afford one, so they, they pray, Lord, would you help us with this need? And they go and talk to someone who's selling a car and they think, maybe we can get it for a little less. And the person says, I don't know why, but I feel like God's told me I'm supposed to give you this car. And, and, and what I love about stories like that, the unexplainable stories that we hear in life, is that God is involved in the details of our life. He cares about the things that we say we need and the things that we ask for. And it's not just about getting things. Sometimes it's about seeing God move, special works that he does that we have nothing to do with, but we get to be there to witness it happen when someone gets healed or when someone gets saved, when someone gets restored. Those are the kind of prayers that when we come to God and we ask for these things, that he hears our prayers. Well, in Joshua chapter 6, what's happening is they start to march around the city, and it's a mile and a half march around the city. And each morning they go up, they walk in the city, they do, walk around the city, they do this thing. It doesn't take long to do a mile and a half march. They go back, sit at their camp, and they're waiting, right? And again, we don't know any prayers they're praying, but the holy anticipation is building, and then you have these days, one after another, one, two, all the way up to six. And then on that seventh day, they finally got up, and they marched around ten and a half miles around the city, seven times around the city. That was an intense prayer walk, right? They kept circling the city in prayer. They prayed that God would provide for this 40-year-old promise that he had given them. And then as they finished their seventh uh, circle, they lift up this holy roar, right? And the 50-foot walls came crashing down, and they end up winning this battle. And some stories like that in the Bible, they, just, they don't relate to me. I don't think they do. I'm like, oh, that's a crazy story. Wow. Power of God. Cool. 7,000 years ago. Love it. Way to go, God, back then. What about now? <laughs> and, but they just beg me for something here. They beg me, what is my Jericho? What is the thing that I need to be circling in prayer? What is the thing that I need to get up and I just need to keep praying again and keep persisting in prayer to where I don't stop and I don't give up, but I pray through, not to get my way, but to say, God, I want you to hear the cry of my heart. Because here's what I know. When we hear the cry of, when he hears the cry of our heart, eventually, eventually, sometimes, those prayers that we're praying, they transition into the cry of his heart. You know, as, and I'll talk about that in just a moment. But about two years ago, we created a prayer room here. And we certainly have prayed before we had a prayer room. But it kind of put a stake in the ground that we care about prayer. And, uh... And that we're going to pray. And it's been incredible to see God move in prayer in so many different ways. And I think it's grown. And it's been a powerful encounter for a lot of us. But when we started the prayer room, there were four persistent prayers we had. And we said these often 
for a long time, and they're still kind of present if you are paying attention to what's going on in the prayer room. Um, but they've been kind of woven through the fabric of our church, and these were the four prayers. We prayed the Holy Spirit to come, basically that the Holy Spirit would come on us like fire, which is found in Acts 2, whenever the disciples prayed for the Holy Spirit to come, and he came upon them like fire. And then we prayed more salvation, which is right after that part in Acts 2, whenever 3,000 people come to know Christ that day. And so we were like, what if we saw an evangelistic outpouring and all these salvations come where there would be a move of God? Let's pray for that. And then right in after that story in Acts 3, you see the first healing that happens post-Jesus, if you will. And it happens whenever John and, John and Peter heal this guy and he gets up and walks. And we're like, well, you know, what if we saw more healings, not just physical healings, but spiritual healings and emotional healings and all sorts of types of things that we can't explain that God is doing because he is present and his power is here and it's made and it's made perfect in his presence, right? And so, and then we started praying more breakthrough that we'd see people see go, go from where they are now to, to where he wants them to be. And we started praying these things over and over again. And these have been four persistent prayers for our church. And it's ultimately been a hopeful revival. These are seven Chronicles, uh, Second Chronicles seven fourteen prayers. If my people, who are my people? The church, us, right? If, you're, if you call Jesus your Lord, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. This, this, this is a call to prayer. And when we see in the New Testament church, right, in the, in the, church, the, the, the church in Acts, when they start saying, Holy Spirit, come, they're, not, they're asking for, for the Lord to kind of release the thing that he wants to do in this world. And, we, and then they say, Lord, we want to we pray for more salvations. We see the gospel impact our city. This is what they're praying. This is what we pray. This is the same prayer that's always been. This is the prayer of the church that we would see God move and do things that we couldn't do without him. We'd see healings, but not because we want them for ourselves, but because we want to see God's power released in this world. We want to get glimpses of heaven where all things are made new. And that we'd see breakthrough. Or he would take us from where we are to where he wants us to be. Those have been the prayer and the cry of our heart. And those are big prayers. And God answers prayers as he chooses. Meaning he answers prayers the way he wants to. Has anybody ever prayed a prayer and God's answered it a different way than what you expected? Nod your head if that's a yeah. Like, okay, yeah, like I've prayed something and then it came out a little different. I mean, I know several years ago I prayed God would tell Christy, he would tell Christy where we should move. And instead, he told him we should plant a church. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, no, no, no. God, I said, where should we move? <laughs> maybe, he needed, maybe I need to get a little louder. You know what I mean? Like Hawaii, something, anything. He's like, the next move is to plant a church. Oh, so sometimes what we think are unanswered prayers are just prayers that are answered differently than we expected. You know, sometimes the thought to pray more is not logical or practical, is it? Someone says, man, I have this really big problem. Someone says, well, let's pray about it. And you're like, yeah, that's not really helpful. We don't think it's really logical or practical. No, no, give me three steps. Give me an answer. Someone come over to my house. Help me fix this thing. It's not logical or practical. In fact, it's illogical and impractical to believe that the God of the universe that we don't see cares about us. Prayer is an act of believing and trusting that the God of the universe cares about us, that he hears our prayers. 
<laughs> I love this verse, 1 Peter 5, 7. He says, cast all your anxiety on him because God cares for you. And I love that passage because for so many years, though, I'm like, oh, yeah, cast all my anxiety. That is awesome. <laughs> you know, here you go, God, take it all because I have a lot of it. The second part of the verse, though, is what's speaking to me today. God cares about you. God cares about you. And I don't know if we always know that, and prayer is an act of believing that. 1 Peter 3.12 says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. God's eyes are on those who seek righteousness. So his eyes are on you. So perhaps we could say God cares about you. And God sees you. Second Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. So his eyes are upon those who seek righteousness. Is that you? He wants to strengthen those hearts who are committed to him. He sees you. So his eyes are upon you. God cares for you. And then go back to 1 Peter 3.12. He ends with, and his ears are attentive to your prayers. So God cares for you. Oh, thank you, Jesus. God sees me. His eyes are on me. And he hears me. So just as the Israelites marched around a city for seven days, believing that God's promise would come true, that they would usher in those seven days into the next chapter of their story, we too, in a much maybe smaller scale, but just as much significant, are going to pray for seven days with the hope that as we come together and pray, that as we start this new chapter, on the seventh day, we can come together in the same kind of heart and mind and lift up a holy roar to God to say, thank you, God, for your love and your goodness. Thank you for caring about us. Thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for seeing our pain and coming to us in those moments and surrounding us with your love. For me, times when the community comes together to prayer, Whenever a church comes together and prays and fasts together, it's a reminder that we are not alone in this story. And I know we all know that, but so many of us, we live our lives and all we really think about is the individualistic kind of uh, pursuit that we're living. And sometimes we have to be reminded, no, we are part of something much bigger. We are part of a body of Christ. We are part of the people of God. And when the people of God come together and they pray, we are connecting with one of the things that was the cry of Jesus's heart himself. In John 17, he said, Father, I pray for them. I pray that they would be one as me and you, Father, are one. One of the cries of Jesus's heart was that we would be one, that there would be oneness, there would be unity. And if it's the cry of Jesus's heart, it stands to reason that it should be the cry of our heart. A couple years ago, I read a really spiritual book called Shoe Dog by Phil Knight, who is the creator of Nike. And he said this, oneness in some way, shape, or form, it's what every person I've ever met has been seeking. In other words, as humans, we do not want to be alone. 
and even more so, we desire to be connected and united to something bigger than ourselves. And I believe that human desire was alive in the 600,000 that circled the city. That's why they got up and did it. And I believe it will be alive this week when people get up and we pray together. That we are actually seeking something that every human wants. That life is not just about you. That it's about something bigger. That God is calling us into something that says, I can make your story better. I can actually come. My Holy Spirit can come upon you and you can start to see power happen where, start, where people start to get saved and we got to start to see an evangelistic outpouring in your presence. And you start to see the power of God do unexplainable things and you get to see breakthrough. I take people from one place and I take them to another. That's the story I want to do, but it only happens. It only happens when a community of people come together and they unite with me in prayer and unite with me in hungering and thirsting. And the cries of our heart, here's what's so great about it, is sometimes they're like, oh, is it okay for me to just voice the cry of our heart? Just like when I prayed, Lord, I, you know, where we're supposed to move, and then the prayer changed to, no, it's more about a move that I'm gonna do in you. The cry of my heart, that's all I got. I don't know all the prayers, you know what I'm saying? All I have is the cry of my heart, but when I give him the cry of my heart, he eventually transforms it into the cry of his heart. You may not know the cry of God's heart for you, but what you do know is the cry of your heart. Give it to him and he will give what he has to you. Are you with me? And so when we pray, it's not just, oh, it's another little you know, prayer movement. It is a prayer of entering into the presence of God to say, Lord, I desire more. I desire more. And so when we pray together this week, I pray a greater hunger and thirst upon your life. And I pray that God would shine the light into your life like he never has before. All right, would you pray with me, my friends? We're gonna, we're gonna pray for a moment and then we're gonna worship. We got a little time, we have extra time. We didn't worship much at the front. We're gonna worship at the back. And these last few minutes we have, we're gonna sing a few songs, but we pray this week that as we praise you, that we would grow a greater hunger and thirst for your presence, God. We know that you are the source of life and that life is found in you. I just want to pause for a moment and ask a question to everyone in the room. But, you know, when we talk about prayer and a deeper life with God, Perhaps today it's led you to consider your own life with God and you go like, I, I just have still questions about my life with God and I just want you to hear some things and everybody listen because maybe this is going to apply to you, but being a Christian, being someone who says Jesus is Lord, Jesus is my Savior, it is not something you are born into because your family is Christian. It is also not something that you become just because you've been a good person. It's also not something you achieve because you believe that God is real. All those things are important, but that is not how you become a follower of Christ. There is a choice that you make to say, I am choosing Jesus to be the Lord of my life. It's a moment. It's a decision point for you. And if you've, if you've banked your Christian faith on your family or on the fact that you've always tried to be a good person or the fact that you, I believe God is real, I think there's a step further for you and it's saying, Jesus, I want to make you Lord of my life. And if that's where you're at today, I just want to lead you in a prayer. Everybody's going to have their heads bowed, eyes closed. 
But it just starts with this. If you're saying, I, I want that. That's what I want. I'm, I'm tired of kind of having questions in my heart and not really knowing. Then just pray this prayer. It starts like this. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. Just say, Jesus, I give you my life. You can just whisper that on your own, your own. But Jesus, I give you my life. If you're praying this prayer, it's a heart of surrender. It's a heart of a desire for his salvation. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. The second part of that prayer is acknowledgement that, that you need him in your life, that you have, you've, you've messed up. And so we see this. We say, I confess my sin and I ask for forgiveness. I confess my sin and I ask for forgiveness. I confess my sin and I ask for forgiveness. That's the second part of the prayer. Jesus, I give you my life. I confess my sin and ask for forgiveness. And then the last part that we'll use today is Holy Spirit, come and fill me up. Holy Spirit, come and fill me up. Holy Spirit, come and fill me up. Jesus, I give you my life. I ask for forgiveness of my sins. Holy Spirit, come and fill me up. Jesus said that he will come and he will be with us. He will never leave us or forsake us. When he said that, he was referencing his Holy Spirit that will reside in us, will never leave us or forsake us. So if you just prayed that prayer and you meant it, you've made the decision to say yes to Christ. And if that's you, everybody's heads are bowed. No one's looking around. But if you just want to acknowledge before the Lord that you prayed that today, and just lift your hand up real quick right now. Just slip it up real quick. Right back down. If you just prayed that prayer, go ahead and all over the room. Anybody at all? It's awesome. Well, Father, we pray that as we spend some time now just worshiping you, I pray that this would be a moment in time for us to just surrender and give our hearts to you um, and kind of launch these next seven days. Um, use this as kind of a launching pad for it, that we would lean in to prayer because when we lean into prayer, find more of Jesus. And when we find, when we lean into Jesus, we always lean into prayer. And so, Father, thank you for today. You're so good. We pray these things in your name. Would you stand with us? That we're, we're, we've fallen short. So say, Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I ask for forgiveness of my sins. And then the last part of that prayer is this, Holy Spirit, come and fill me up. Holy Spirit, come and fill me up. The Holy, Jesus said the Holy Spirit would come and he would reside with us. He would never leave us, forsake us. And so we're inviting the Spirit to come in. So if you want to give your life to Christ today, if you want to make the choice to say yes to Jesus, it's Jesus, I give you my life. I ask for forgiveness of my sins. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill me up. Just curious, everybody's heads bowed. If you just prayed that prayer, would you just lift your hand real quick? If you just prayed that prayer, and that was your prayer today. Anybody in here? Amen. Okay. Well, I'm going to say a prayer, and then uh, we're going to spend a time in worship. We got some extra time to worship today, and so we're going to use it and sing and just lift up even today a holy shout and praise. And this is going to be, for the next little bit of time, an opportunity for you to start your seven days of prayer by just saying, I'm going to worship. Maybe you're going to want to come and just say a prayer dedication at this altar. Maybe you're going to pray with our prayer team. But maybe let this moment be a marker for you to begin something new. Or perhaps, and I'll just say this one thing, or perhaps you want to say a prayer because everything begins and ends with prayer. As we end this chapter as a church community, you want to give some thanks and praise to God. 
as we launch into the next one. So, Father, we pray that. I pray that this time will be a time of response and, and, and worship and prayer and, and that, Lord, you'd move in our hearts in a way that sets us up to the things that you've called us to even in the coming days. We pray these things in your name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.